landmarks. That's where we're going. Um, but let me start with this. Have you ever been put on a team, uh, a group for a project uh, at school, maybe in elementary school or in high school, maybe even post-secondary school at work? Have you ever been placed on a team? And as I say that, have you ever said to yourself, "Woo, I'm glad about that. I find that the stories that I hear so frequently are, I was put in this group, and my group was terrible. I'm the one who's doing all the work. They're just living off me. And they'll do stuff that, that I don't want, and they're, they're going to bring my mark down. And we have this thought in our head that goes, I don't want to be labeled for their work. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, and we, we get into this place that it's, there's always somebody. And, and if you've never been on a team where you feel like somebody is slacking, odds are you're the one they're talking about, okay? Because that's what seems to happen. And uh, actually this week I was, uh, I was here and, and Moses had come in because Moses decided he wanted to learn something new. He has been on this, maybe you remember a couple of months ago, he described what his journey looked like. And he was in a place where he said, I can see that with the pandemic and and church online and the new requirements that we have to meet these things technically, that if one of our guys gets sick or or takes a week off, we're going to be in a little bit of a pickle. But you know what? I can do something about that. It's not his primary area of interest. It's probably not his primary area of giftedness. But he said, I can learn, I can do something. I'll pick something up. So we were in this week, and I was teaching them a thing or two, not about music, obviously. And we were having this conversation, and that's exactly where he was. He had a meeting that afternoon. He's going, ah, I'm in this place where somebody assigned a project, and, and, and there's initial people who do their work, and then I'm supposed to do my work, and we don't agree. And, and then the boss had sort of said, work it out, and you go, how do you do this? This is a terrible tension of working with people. We don't see eye to eye on how things are going to happen. How are we going to work that out? And originally my thought was, I'll just tell you the negative story, the group project. Oh my goodness, that's so bad. You know, we have that kind of feeling. But then I thought, even as talking to him and later I'm reflecting on it, there's so much more because I get to work with a team as well. And the group that I'm put in is not in that same kind of a place. And so I work with a group that we hear called Steercom. Steercom is our steering committee. This is not all the people, right? There's lots of people who do good things, but I spend uh, more of my time with Steercom than with anyone else. And so um, I have been able to work with a bunch of people who somehow we managed to find a bunch of people who are not like me. And that is such incredibly good news. We've got Dan. Dan is the chairman of our steering committee, and uh, Dan is so talented musically. He just, he just does it, right? Like, it, he's not thinking. It just happens. He just musics. But Dan also has this other gift. Another day, I, was, I came in, and we had some other project that was going on, and I saw that there's a whole bunch of stuff that had messed up this room. It was like over here, it was just piled, stacked high. And I came in, and instantly, because I've seen this before, I had this sense Dan is here. When Dan does that, he comes in, he goes, we need to clean this thing up. It is so easy 
in your house, but in your church, anywhere, to put things on flat surfaces. Do you do this at home? I'll just put that. I'm not going to leave it there. I know it doesn't belong there. I'll just leave it there for now. We do that. But this room over here, there's a reason why we keep the door closed. All right? We got all kinds of storage stuff in here, and it's so easy for people to clutter. I'm in a hurry. I got to just do this now. And Dan has a way of, of sorting through it and saying, not only do I see there's a problem, I'm going to fix it. Great help. Um, we have Norm. Norm's on our steering committee as well. Norm plays bass, so he's musical as well. Everyone's musical except me. Uh, and Norm, he has done a lot of our network kind of stuff. So, so if you're watching a church online, one of the main reasons you're watching a church online is because Norm set us up with a network that will work. Uh, stuff inside the church, but he also helps out with uh, the sound configuration, the soundscape, the sound design of what this place can work like. A lot of stuff behind the scenes. And we're so thankful there's a guy like Norm who can do that. And then there's Kristen. And you, you've seen a bunch of Kristen's work digitally. She's made a number of our 10th anniversary slideshows, pulling that together. But Kristen is incredibly gifted in organization. She puts things together. She orders them. And not like she had to. She just does it. It's, and don't hold this against her. She's not weird and freaky. But she told me once she actually likes filling out forms, even government forms. And I go, what a gift straight from the hand of our almighty good God to provide someone who can do that kind of stuff that not only do I not like, I find it really hard to do. Kristen has been so good at organizing and arranging and decorating. And, the, and what you see in here, the visual design, is so much of Kristen's influence and work. Incredibly important person. we got another guy named Matt. Matt, well, he's not like Kristen. Matt is so good at building, constructing, putting things together, sitting back and saying, well, what you need to do that is a one of these and you got to get a that, but you have to put them together like this. And you see in here the physical working of so many of the things that he has built even in this room. Matt helps us understand how the building works and how we can maintain it. Again, so incredibly unlike me. We got another guy named Jim. And Jim is our treasurer. Jim sees finances and numbers in a way where numbers mean something to him, and he can put them together and reconfigure, and not illegally. And he, he can understand what they mean and help us with that. But Jim is also so incredibly talented at the building side as well. He comes in and goes, all it's going to take to fix that, you know what, let me just do it. And he, the lights work now. He's a, an electrician as well. And so we have seen that in the painting. Oh my goodness, the painting that Jim has done. So many hours on a ladder painting. So unlike what I do. And then we got Moses. Moses is, uh, uh, you know, he's incredibly talented musically. He can lead you. He pulls you into music so well. He has an incredible voice but he also has a great ability to break complicated things down into simple steps to make training happen so that people can understand and they can do things. And that's one of the, the, the heartbeats that he has is to help people do things that they don't think they can do because they thought it was too hard. He can make things simple. Incredible work that he's doing. 
And then one of our, our, our newest members, our, our, the other staff person is Sarah. Sarah, she has got a heart that starts brimming over when it comes to what can I do to help kids. We didn't ask her to help kids. She made us help kids. It's just what she does. She has an incredible gift at writing, flowery, beautiful, um, thoughtful kinds of writing. Comes out of her and uh, organization as well, getting things designed, set up. When we had our Christmas bags last year, that was Sarah's work. When we had the Easter kit that we sent out, that was Sarah's work. The fact that we're going to have a kids' event, that's Sarah's work in organizing. The fact that we have contact tracing and all that stuff happening, that's Sarah's work. We have this group of people who I have realized I am delighted to be labeled for their work. And the group experience that I had had earlier in life was I don't want anything to do with being labeled for their work. And all kinds of time, because I stand up here, you think that I did it. I got labeled for their work. And I love it. And I love the fact that I get to tell you the truth about what really happened, how it really worked out. We are blessed for this team, this community, this we. And I'm, it's not, those are not the only people. It makes it sound like there's a hard stop there, there's a period. There are all kinds of people. And even looking around, I can see you and I go, oh, I kind of want to tell your story, but I got to keep going. And there's a bunch of you at church online as well. I know that you have done incredible things and we will tell stories as we go forward because I think they're incredibly important for, um, for us just to do together. Today, like every other day, if you go to into1.ca, you can follow along with what's going to happen. So if you want to see our notes or whatever, latest message notes, it's all there for you. Okay. On this road trip, in earnest pursuit of Christ, we are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. We are drawn closer through a growing faith in Jesus. We don't make faith but we remain expectant, active, and focused on our faith catalyst. That's practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, and pivotal circumstances. We find these catalysts consistently in the stories told by faithful followers of Jesus. We mark our journey by celebrating key moments known as landmarks. Landmarks are noticed on the journey, on the road trip. They're important moments when we pull off to the side of the road. We get out of the car. Together we look around. We appreciate where we are. We appreciate where we have come from. We take a photo. We enjoy each other. And then we refocus on where it is that we are heading then we get back into the car and back on the road. Landmarks are absolutely key in the we story. We are going together. We mourn with those who mourn. We cheer with those who are cheering. We know that it's not all about us. And we choose to look for God's presence in these moments. To thank Him for His kindness and His faithfulness. We look each other in the eye. 
and exchange knowing glances and even smiles because it's good to travel with others. It's good to travel with others who know what we've been through. We are better together. It's better when you're here. The more we connect, the better it gets. And in this series, we are going to take a closer look at some of the landmarks that we celebrate as they regularly come across our path. We're going to look at why um, they are landmarks, what they mean to us, sometimes what they might mean to others around us, why we recognize them, why we celebrate them, and why some celebrate these same things differently. What, what are they all about? So let me just tell you, this is the, uh, the outline what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. First, next week, uh, week two, communion, or the Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper. Christians have been celebrating this since Jesus, but we don't all celebrate it the same. What does it look like in other traditions? Some of you have come from another tradition, and you say, it doesn't look exactly like I'm familiar with. Why is that? What does it mean? What do we do in that? We're going to talk about that. Week three, we're going to talk about baptism. What is baptism? Why do we do it? How come the way we do it doesn't look like the way they do it? Why is it different? Why are there different ages? Week four, we're going to talk about marriage. What does marriage mean? How is marriage not just about you? How is it about the community? What is it? How is it seen? Who defines what that actually is? How do other people see it? Week five, we're going to talk about child dedication. Child dedication is a practice that we have here. But not every church does child dedication. Some churches do infant baptism. Why do they do infant baptism? What's that all about? How come we don't? What's the story behind that? So we're going to look at that. Why do some people do it? Why don't we do it? Um, and do we really need to fight about it? <laughs> the answer to that is no. I'll just give you the precursor on that one. There will be no fighting. We're not inciting any riots, okay? That's not in the plan at all. And then week six, perhaps my favorite part, my favorite landmark, not one of the sacraments of the church, but one of the landmarks that I think is incredibly important, and I just want to get better at doing this one, is heartbreak survivors. And if you want to know what that one is, well, you're just going to have to come week six because I'm not going to tell you any more about that one right now. But that is an incredibly important part of our story and where we're going. But today, I thought that I'd raise a little Ebenezer, all right? Do you remember Ebenezer's? Now, not all of, them, not all of you can remember them because you weren't here when we talked about them on Christmas. But let me give you the quick summary. In a brutal time, the prophet Samuel set up a memorial stone and he named it Ebenezer. The name has a meaning saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is a shared living with heavenly raised gaze. It's eyes up. We are looking to you and for you, Jesus. And it's an alert and deliberate daily dependence. It's of morning by morning. It's of Give us this day of Hebrews 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Ebenezer living is standing in this present moment, aware, 
and odd that we are here, still alive and kicking and kept by God amid a fierce battle or in the wake of a season when we had no clue what we were going to do or how we'd ever get through. Thus far, my aging hand is still in Cheryl's. Thus far, I can still lend some help. Thus far, I can get out of bed and I can walk my son to school. I can go to work. Thus far, I still enjoy things like the way a leaf changes color and gently floats in the air falling to the earth. Thus far, I still believe Jesus died and rose again. And because he did, I am changed and ever-changing. Thus far, I still believe in the communion of saints and the fellowship of sacred joys and even in sacred suffering. Thus far, I am still connected to others by blood and by the Spirit and, and, and have them in my heart even though miles stretch between us. Thus far, brothers and sisters, that which we thought would kill us didn't. The world that we thought would fill us didn't. Our God, who we thought might forget us, hasn't. The devil we thought would destroy us couldn't. Here, we raise our Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord. And now, onwards. Not towards rampant individualism, but genuine community. Community in relationship and communally in discernment. Not individualism and not consumerism, but dedication to a community. A community wherein we pray and we discern. We need you to be involved in that spiritual and yet terribly physical community. We need you to participate in communal discernment with us. God gave uh, humans a, a, a vocation to reflect His image, to be a kingdom of priests reflecting the Creator's wise rule into the world. And the long, painful history of the church is the history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control, uh, love, control over the cross, being a, a, a leader over being led. And those who resisted this temptation to the end and thereby give us hope, those are the true saints. So says Henri Nouwen. Israel was sent on a mission to the world, a rescue mission, but the ambulance that they were in got stuck in a ditch. And the Old Testament's redemption story kind of slams into the Babylonian brick wall and it never recovers. And that second temple Judaism, what happened after Babylon, was haunted, this is what N.T. Wright says, by the painful awareness that the glory that departed Solomon's temple in a chariot of whirling wheels, you know, that's from Ezekiel's vision, had never returned and would not return until God found a way around the sinful idolatry of his chosen people. So the quick Old Testament history, maybe you know this, um, God chooses Abram, no special reason. God makes promises to Abram, 
no, nothing he did to deserve it. God establishes the people of Israel and rules through judges. But then our human nature bubbles up. It rises up once again. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The people cry out, give us a king. And God replies and he reminds them, but if you have a king, you are not going to like it. He will rule over you and, and, and he'll tax you and he'll take your children to war. I'm your king. The people complain. We don't want you as our king. All the surrounding nations have kings and we want to be like them. So God most high accommodates to his, to his people's level and he sends Samuel out to anoint a king. God, God said all, all he wants is the tabernacle, the, temp, the tent of meeting that they'd used when they were in the wilderness. That, that, that was enough. That's the only home I want. It helps us to keep our focus clear. But the people cry out, we want to give you a proper home. We want to give you a temple. All the surrounding nations have temples. And that's what we want also. It's not for us, you understand. It's for you, God. But really, for us. And the problem for Israel continues to be what the nations around them do. We want to do what they do. We want to have what they have. And God had chosen them, set them apart. He promised to fight for them, to provide for them, and they just kept rejecting the path that God laid out for them. But at the same time, he continued to accommodate to their level. This is, what, this is not what I want, but I will work with you where you are. And so he blessed the temple. He used the temple. He filled the temple with his glory. The entrance, 2 Chronicles 7, 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and, and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. <coughs> How many times do you figure God has looked at you and, and, and said that to you? This is not what I want for you. This is not what is best for you. But I will accommodate for you. For now. But the plan has always been Jesus coming to reign and rule in us and through us and in the world and for the world. And so now we go, we travel together. Individuals who are part of a community of faith, a family of faith. And well, Israel... Ah, oh, they continued to stray farther and farther from the agreement, from the arrangement, from the covenant that they had made with God. They increasingly became like the nations that surrounded them. They gathered in, collecting all of the bad habits, slavery, concubines, multiple wives, multiple gods, violence, dishonesty, cruelty, might makes right, the oppression of the poor and in need, widows, Orphans, aliens in their land, treated without compassion or kindness. And so God sent prophets to keep calling the king back. He went to the king because the Sinai covenant was made by God to the people as a whole. And the people are now, by their own choice, led by a king. Things continue to get worse. They get more tense. God's chosen people 
mm, fight, split the kingdom. There's now a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Relationships are broken. Covenants have been trampled. And finally, God says, enough. I just love you way too much to allow this to continue on and on. And I'm going to call you back to myself. But first, I will show you what it is like to get exactly what you have been asking for and longing after. You have said that you want to be like the other nations. Okay. Now you will have the life of someone in another nation. You will be under their gods. You will be under their king. You will be overtaken by the neighbors that you want to be like. So first comes Assyria to overtake Israel, the northern kingdom, in 724 B.C. Then comes Babylon to overthrow Judah, the southern kingdom, in 586 B.C. And we see the departure of God's Shekinah glory from the temple. The exit, Ezekiel 10, 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. But the need for God remained. But the love of God remained. The plan long ago had been made and the preparations laid. God's love took the human form of a baby somehow, some way. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 16, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. 18, and he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. 20, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. And so, yes, then God sent His Son. They call Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. And an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. The teaching and healing ministry of Jesus unfolded against the backdrop of this glorious and, and gloomy narrative. And in the midst of the gloom, in the, in the murkiness, he made some things quite clear. Luke eleven twenty. 20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Everything in the Gospels tells the same story. The second exodus has begun, and the kingdom of God is now among you. Freedom stands before you. And, and being a Christian is, is about participating in the revolution God has unleashed through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It isn't about going to heaven or about avoiding hell when you die. 
The revolution is much more comprehensive than we like to give God credit. It's not just upending things and then taking things by force, even if it's for really good reason. No. When God wants to change the world, He doesn't drop bombs and He doesn't roll out the tanks. Do you know what He sends? Do you know who He sends? He sends you. He sends in the meek, the merciful, the humble, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, and those who hunger and thirst to see justice done. Is that you? The kingdom of God is about restorative justice. A salvation doesn't happen when you pray the sinner's prayer. It happens when you join the revolution, when you follow Jesus in your words and in your actions and in your thoughts and in your responses, in your attitudes, in your generosity, in your spending, and even in your calendar bookings. Tom Wright offers a, a, just a fabulous, memorable image in his Galatians commentary. Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in the, the region of Galatia. And the letter focuses on the difference between the law and grace, right? Living under the law and living under grace. Living under the authority of the law or under the authority of the Spirit. Being guided by the law or being guided by the Spirit. Living, running, excelling under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Partnership, like we talked about last week. Partnership with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit, being in the light. It's not about law, but grace infused and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This new creation, this is what he said, has been launched. And since the Torah was the God-given regulation for God's people during the continue, this continuing present evil age, it must be resisted. It cannot be the regulator in God's new world. That was not its purpose. The Torah, it seems, was part of God's preparatory purpose for his ultimate project. Preparation has its proper place. The tuning fork will help you get the instrument ready for performance, but you cannot play the concert on the tuning fork. Beautiful picture. So what does it all look like? Is God one or three? Yes. Is Jesus human or divine? Yes. Is God sovereign or are humans responsible? Yes. Christianity is, is, is neither monistic nor materialistic, neither rationalist nor subjectivist. Uh, neither legalistic nor antinomian, neither left, right, nor middle. Your freedom in Christ is the purpose, is for the purpose of serving your neighbor. You are no longer just a cistern of self-salvation and works righteousness, but rather you are a conduit by which God blesses the world. The we story. Ephesians 2 Verse 1, as you were dead in your transgressions and sins, too, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Three, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. 
We were by nature deserving of wrath for, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, five, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Nine, not by works so that no one can boast. Ten, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. By grace through faith. It's, it's the ongoing path. It's not just the trailhead, not just the beginning of the Christian journey. And accountability is hard. Blame is really easy. One builds trust and the other destroys it. Now, I've found it very important in my own life to try to let go of my wishes and instead live in hope. I'm finding when I choose to let go of my petty, superficial wishes, something beyond my own expectations begins to happen for me, through me, in me. May this be your discovery also. May this, this be what we discover together as we continue to put foot after foot on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ. May this continue to be the story that you are welcomed into and that you indeed welcome others into as well. This is the we story, and it is decorated liberally with wondrous landmarks all along the way. Kind Father, thank you for the way that you get us. You, you, you know what we struggle with. You know what's hard for us. You know that even though we're not all the same, we have the same needs in so many spots. Thanks for your patience with us. Thanks for your patience with me. When I drop the ball, you don't turn your back. When I mess up things, even intentionally, you don't slam me with your fist. Your hand is open before me, always, before us, welcoming us back, calling us once again to be in this mission. You offer forgiveness when it's clear I don't deserve it. You offer grace when I have clearly done nothing to earn it. You offer hope when, when, when what I have crafted around me only leads to destruction. You heal, you restore, and you continue to choose me. You choose us to be the way that you will work in this world. And we are well aware of how much our world is in need. 
So how much we are needed in this world becomes true also. Continue to work in us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to work with you in the direction that you are going, in the way that you would have us work. We're going to go forward with our eyes up. We're watching for you, Jesus. We are, we are aware of our need, our lack on our own. Transform us into your likeness. And allow us to live in such a way that we can unlive the reputation that we as the church have built for ourselves. 